Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's January 9th, 1799. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. So it was today in history in 1799 that Britain's first income tax was levied by William Pitt the Younger. And before you immediately reach to hit stop, stick with us on this one. Because yes, even though we're talking about income tax today, it's a story with plenty of intrigue. And it also gives us a chance to talk about window tax and hair powder tax and flatulence tax. But before we get to all of that, our story starts with a bizarre the Younger young... will be turning in his grave. <laughs> well, one day in 200 years, I'll talk about my accomplishments by saying, don't worry, keep listening, we'll talk about farting. Talk about farting, yeah. (laughs) Well, the story starts with him, our bizarrely young Prime Minister trying to lift Britain out of massive debt. Yeah, so he'd become Prime Minister in 1783, age 24. And in keeping with his status, as to this day, still Britain's youngest ever Prime Minister, he was a reformist, he was full of new ideas to make the British government and the economy a bit more efficient, a bit more transparent, perhaps. He wasn't always very popular in his time and the income tax was certainly not one of his most popular innovations but he had good reason to be concerned about the national debt which had doubled during the American War of Independence and now stood at 243 million pounds yeah well and the only Prime Minister and Chancellor simultaneously that the country has ever had (laughs) he was that good (laughs) I wonder if you really needed to be someone with that tight grip over the treasury i mean he was the person who gave centralized control of all the various departments of government into whitehall to get away with coming up with a scheme like income tax he was known for intervening in quite audacious ways in the treasury um for example he tackled tea smuggling big problem in the 1790s by cutting the duty from hundreds of different rates down to just one yeah he basically made it so that it wasn't worth the risk of smuggling tea because doing it the official way and just paying the duty was probably going to work out less bad for you than if you tried to i don't know smuggle a haul of uh, of tea through and you got busted doing it yeah well apparently before then smuggling was responsible for the entry of one fifth of britain's goods so it was such a huge problem and it was really typical of his way of thinking that instead of being like well let's just send a couple of soldiers out different cliffs to like stare over the moonlight waters and hope that we hear the slosh of oars let's just tackle the demand for smuggled goods and it worked it brought in an estimated two million extra a year in customs revenue and tea consumption doubled in the wake of this (laughs) the corresponding rise in biscuit consumption the treasury even more revenue (laughs) it was genius all round but all of this was necessary just because of the profound hole that Britain was in at this time. The national debt when Pitt took office would have been 33 billion in today's money. So really serious and consequently he had to take some pretty drastic steps. And I think he knew probably that putting in an income tax wasn't going to be a popular move, but he was into one of the great economic theorists of the time, Adam Smith, and really put a lot of his energy into persuading Parliament to accept Smith's principles. And and this meant for him, actually weirdly, 
primarily targeting rich people. So a lot of the new taxes that he brought in really focused on the possessions and pleasures of the rich. So for example, gold and silver plates, men's hats, ladies' ribbons, perfumes, hair powder, horses and carriages, and also servants. So, you know, he was finding ways to tax the people who had the most money. Yeah, and the reason that he was going about it via these indirect means was because the very notion of income tax was a major taboo. You know, obviously people are never keen on new taxes, but there was a real ideological opposition to the notion of income tax. And I think hard to conceptualise from our perspective when we're so used to the concept, but the idea that the government could make you reveal your income was seen Mm. as this incredible intrusion on your privacy Mm. and your personal liberty. So if you wanted to tax the rich, this is where we get things like window tax. And I think when people bring up window tax now, it's usually with a bit of a chortle. I mean, look how silly this is. But actually, quite a logical way of imposing a tax that's relative to wealth without forcing anyone to disclose their income. And for the same reason, in the 18th century, you also had the introduction of things like glass tax and my favourite, wallpaper tax. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I suppose from that point of view, sales tax or VAT as it is now kind of makes more sense, doesn't it? As, As less of an infringement on your liberty, just the simple thing of like when you buy something, when you're choosing to spend your money, that's when the government might ask for a slice of it. But they don't need to know, as you're saying, exactly how you go about making all of your pennies. But the way that Pitt marketed this, which was clever, was very clearly as a one-off. You know, Mm. it's kind of like the way the furlough scheme was talked about during COVID, basically. Well, we should be clear, this was about the French Revolutionary War, really. I mean, you talked about the American War of Independence, but really this was about Napoleon's in France, the country being repeatedly invaded. There was a run on the Bank of England at one point. Britain needed to fund the struggle against the French Revolutionary War. And so Pitt said... This is costing us a huge amount of money. We can pay for some of that with loans. I mean, even then, Britain took out £443 million in loans. But there was a gap. And as a one-off, therefore, I'm going to charge originally two pence, old pence, in the pound on incomes over £60. So, again, only rich people are going to pay it, and it's only temporary, folks. Yeah, and he was expecting to yield £10 million, and actual receipts were more around £6 million. But it did crucially establish income tax as a useful potential source of increasing the government's coffers. I think that it just put in people's heads the idea that maybe this ideological concern that they had had wasn't so bad after all. Although, admittedly, it was repealed very, very quickly. Yeah, I mean, the condition of the military had got really, really bad at this point because the French Revolutionary War has been going on since 1793, so six years by the time this income tax came in. Apparently, there were reports that soldiers were going hungry because their rations were so meagre, and conditions in the Navy were so bad that in 1797, there were a series of mutinies on British naval ships. And there was actually fear that the sailors were being radicalised. There was great fear across Europe at this point that other countries would follow France and end up, you know, chopping off their monarchs' heads. So there was a real need to address this. What happened was that the Anglo-French War, or rather this Anglo-French War, because there are many conflicts of the same name, it see, ended see in previous 1802. previous episodes and future episodes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that ended in 1802, by which time Pitt had already resigned. He'd resigned the previous year because he wanted to push through concessions to Catholics that he thought would bring peace to Ireland, but nobody else agreed, including the king, so he resigned. His successor was Henry Addington, who I have to say is probably among Britain's least remembered prime ministers. He duly then repealed the income tax, but less 
less than a year later, the Napoleonic Wars kicked off and he was forced to reintroduce it. Although he actually said that his act was for a contribution of the profits arising from property, professions, trades and offices. Basically just avoiding the words <laughs> income tax. <laughs> but still designed for the rich, not for employees. Most people would be under the threshold. That was the case in Britain, by the way, until after the Second World War. Mm. Uh, this the, It was designed for the rich paying a little bit more. Um, and children, by the way, paid 5% less on their earnings than adults. <laughs> so that's nice. <laughs> Clean my factory, boy, and if you keep your arms, you keep the change. <laughs> um, and even though Pitt had voiced vociferous opposition to Addington's version of income tax, it actually wasn't that different from one Pitt had introduced. The main difference was that this new act, you know, the act for the contribution of the profits, blah, 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 not an income tax, <laughs> it introduced schedules, which we still have now, and that's basically types of income, such as land, rent, salary, annuities, if you're lucky enough to be receiving an annuity. And these were still hated. They were hated as much as the original one, but they were tolerated as a patriotic duty precisely because they were going to be repealed as soon as we won yes. that pesky Napoleonic War. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and so just after Waterloo, income tax was finally repealed with thundering peals of applause in Parliament. And so great was the public antipathy to the tax that Parliament decided to shred all of the documents and then pulp the shreds. Yeah, and then, supposedly, I mean, this is a bit like, you know, displaying the body of Guy Fawkes. <laughs> the income tax <laughs> records were incinerated in the old palace yard at Westminster <laughs> in a bonfire. So basically there's a guy who's just like the archivist for the royal family, right? And they had a second copy yeah. of all these records. That's right. So in 1842, Sir Robert Peel needed those records because income tax was reintroduced. I mean, in the meantime, the government had had to go for things like tea tax and tobacco tax and sugar tax and beer tax. And those all get paid mostly by poor people, obviously. So... You know, people had come round to realising that maybe it shouldn't be temporary, this income tax law. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was the first time that it had been introduced during peacetime. Although, once again, it was to plug a hole in the national debt. And then it seems like what happened is that just governments continue to drag their feet a little bit. about Because because it wasn't for a war, there wasn't a specific date when it should be repealed. William Gladstone was the Chancellor in 1851. He formed a committee to look into this. And then the Crimean War started in 1853. And that seems to be the point that basically they just said, all right, let's just keep it then because this is going to be a pricey one. OK, get us on to fart tax then. All right. <laughs> um, OK, so fart tax, I'm sorry, it's it's probably a, a bit of a, a tease that doesn't quite deliver, but it's, it was obviously <laughs> cow farts um, are responsible for a great contribution to climate change and to help offset some of the problems with cows farting all over the place, many EU countries are now looking at introducing yeah. cow tax to tax the producers of cow emissions. So it's not, you know, <laughs> I hate to tell you, it's not... <laughs> You know, you being taxed for farting in the privacy of your own home. <laughs> Can't believe you left me waiting 10 minutes for that. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow. He'd either bought out or bankrupted 22 of his 26 Cleveland competitors. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.